electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on Squawk Pod, a cold, hard look at our economy. Bear markets, rate hikes, and all. Party's over. Time to clean up. D.C. is indeed trying to clean up from some of its own policies. We're unpacking interest rates and inflation with real estate mogul and investor Sam Zell. I think the whole country owes Joe Manchin a giant thank you uh, for stopping uh, what would have really been a catastrophic uh, result. And that whole buy back better bull is just unacceptable. Real estate's recession worries, the president's pitch to U.S. oil producers, and how crypto trillionaires are faring, or rather, how former trillionaires are. It would be redundant to say some really rich people have lost a trillion dollars, because if they've lost a trillion dollars, they were very rich. Those stories plus RIP Internet Explorer. It's Wednesday, June 15th, 2022, and Squawk Pod begins right now. First up today on the podcast, it feels kind of like the gloom report. The S&P 500 dipped deeper into bear market territory, dropping for its fifth straight day on Tuesday. The Federal Reserve wraps up its two-day meeting today, and the pressure is on Chair Jay Powell to respond aggressively to record high inflation and a weakening economic outlook. Bitcoin tumbled to an 18-month low, and it's all enough to make us feel a little less than celebratory. Squawk Box anchors Joe Kernan and Becky Quick talk it out. Did you see the one piece of confetti? I did. That's about how I feel uh, in terms of celebrating. Party's over. We we have confetti that that comes down for IPOs, and every once in a while, one straggler comes down. It just seemed fitting, uh, because it is uh, gloomy. So there's, there's bad inflation, which can actually cause a recession itself because people stop spending it. It can slow the economy itself. Well, so stop sp- spending on things they don't need. But it, but it can impair economic activity. So our answer to that is to really impair economic activity with higher rates and, and increase the borrowing costs of everybody, which increases the inflation you're worried, that you're worried about uh, in the first place. And, and to, what we're trying to do is loosen things up in terms of supply so that there aren't Shortages, which cause price increases. Can't fix so, this. Uh, yeah. but but how do you? It, it's a blunt. Would you raise interest rates? Would you raise interest rates so that companies that are trying to increase supply, it costs more for them to do what they're going to do? That's it's a bad way. It's a bad thing to do. This is this has been something that has been all about the supply chain. You've got a lot of consumer demand, but this I, I would take I take that back. It's also very strong consumer demand from all of the liquidity that's been out there, and all of the money that was put out not. Fiscally, too. You know, this is a... And, and I agree. That, that's another thing I'm saying. The, the idea... Because a lot of what the Fed does, we went from $20 trillion basically, uh, deficit... Uh, we're, we're not deficit, but that's how much debt we have. We're like at $30 trillion now, and we've done it in, in the course of, you know, both, admit, both the Democrats and Republicans are responsible for it, but we're at like 30 And there wouldn't be this need for, for the Fed to be so accommodated if we hadn't 
blown out. Uh, that, so the idea of doing Build Back Better at this point is just insane. It's, it's, it's insane at this point. And it, I, I know yesterday President Biden was yelling about something, how to, I'm sick of the lies that, that spending is a bad thing. We're trying to help people. Come on, man, something like that. Problem is, Republicans in Congress are doing everything they can to stop my plans to bring down costs on ordinary families. That's why my plan is not finished and why the results aren't finished either. Seems like they don't get it well, at this point. Unintended consequences, for sure. Well, you can't be spending uh, at this point. Uh, that, that's, if you, maybe they can't figure out a way policy-wise to help, but they shouldn't keep hurting. News breaking overnight, the uh, ECB calling an emergency meeting to discuss current market conditions. Investors have been uh, dumping Southern European government debt after the ECB laid out plans. It was last Thursday to phase out its giant bond buying program, hike interest rates. The emergency announcement comes just hours ahead of today's rate decision by the U.S. Central Bank, the euro, jumping against the dollar on the news. Well, here, here's the deal. Equities are one thing, Treasury markets another. And I think the Treasury market is much more powerful. The Treasury market is why the ECB is calling this emergency re meeting today. Their, their treasuries, you know, their um, sovereign debt. They, if you don't have people showing up to buy those things, that's when things get really concerning. And that is where you lose the sense of orderliness. Like hopefully we can contain that. Hopefully it's not an issue like that, but that's where things get much more. I'm not sure. I mean, when equity markets start acting like this, that, that's where the mainstream media gets involved. That's where the cover of yeah, the newspapers. Yeah, but it's not where the bankers get concerned. The bankers, but. Um, Central bankers in particular. The wealth effect. And there used to be, we really did assume there was a Fed put, which the Fed put is either gone or the strike, the, it's so out of the money at this point. The market's trying to bounce today. The market tried to bounce yesterday. The crypto did not. So if it used to be leading, I, I don't know if it is anymore. Bitcoin is down again uh, this morning, has now lost more than, than a third of its value since the start of June in, I guess it's re it would be redundant to say some really rich people have lost a trillion dollars because if they've lost a trillion dollars, they were very rich before. A lot of millionaires and, and, and even tens and hundreds of million, hundred millionaires uh, were minted with the crypto moves, but a, a lot of that's gone. Bitco uh, investor MicroStrategy, been watching this, says it hasn't received a margin call against the $205 million Bitcoin-backed loan that it took in March. That's according to a Reuters report, quoting an emailed statement from the company. And we talked about this yesterday, Becky, and what Michael Saylor was saying and what he wasn't saying. No margin calls yet. At it was at 21 and change. He did point out that not all of the Bitcoin that MicroStrategy owns is pledged, but the amount that is pledged, he says he doesn't expect a margin call and that there's plenty of liquidity assets, with, in, with other, other assets, assets if, if there were to be. But it, it was a strange statement. It didn't say, no, there's no margin call. There's not going to be. And don't worry about it. Because, you know, it was, it, it was interestingly worded. It, you wonder very about carefully the, worded. And the other, we always throw in the El Salvador. We'll see that there are problems in, in El Salvador as well. In May, the company, back to MicroStrategy, the company's CFO said if Bitcoin were to drop below 21,000, it could trigger a margin call. That's a situation, you know what that is, uh, in which an investor has to commit more funds to avoid uh, being uh, really sold out of the trade that was made with uh, borrowed cash. Here's a crypto tweet. Meantime, uh, buzz in the markets over a vague tweet 
by a founder of Three Arrows Capital, an influential hedge fund that's been liquidating crypto holdings. Shu, uh, how do you say this? Shu Su, I guess, Shu Su, tweeted from his verified account, we are in the process of communicating with relevant parties and fully committed to working this out. The firm reportedly started withdrawing staked Ether uh, from decentralized platforms last month and there's speculation that it redeemed it at a discount, which indicates some urgent liquidity needs. Uh, the firm has not provided any additional details. President Biden sending letters to the CEOs of major energy companies. Brian Sullivan joins us now, now with more. What do these letters say, Brian? Well, they say a lot, Becky. And we got one of them here, by the way. They went to Exxon, Chevron, Shell, BP Americas, Valero, Marathon, Phillips 66, and I think one more. But you get the point. They're about, I don't know, a page and a half long. Uh, so there's no way that I can read them, do you, Becky? Basically, it's what it is. President Biden sending letters in the last two hours or so. This is brand new this morning. Uh, to the heads of these oil companies, effectively asking them to explain why their margins are so high in this time of war and also de basically demanding that they raise their production as well. So he talks about the price of gasoline going up. He talks about the price of oil going up and how the price of gas has gone up faster than the price of oil. The president does say that he understands that refining capacity is a global challenge Three million barrels of global refining capacity have gone offline since the onset of the pandemic and that there are other factors. But then he goes into basically saying your companies, meaning oil companies, and again, I apologize for reading, have an opportunity to take immediate action to increase supply of gas and diesel. He says the administration is prepared to use all reasonable, appropriate federal government tools. They love the word tools. They use that. I don't know, don't play drinking tools, by the way. And then they basically say they're going to have an emergency meeting convened, quote, Becky, in the next few days with the Department of Energy and the National Petroleum Council to talk about it. And I'll leave you with this, and you can ask me any questions. Here's the final two lines of the letter. Vladimir Putin's price hike, which price hike are both capitalized. I'm not sure why, but Vladimir Putin's price hike, all caps, are driving up costs for consumers. I appreciate your immediate attention to this issue and your efforts to mitigate the economic challenges that Vladimir Putin's actions have created for American families. So Putin's mentioned five times, I think. There's your last paragraph. Um, we'll see how the oil and gas companies respond, but brand new. I mean, this is really interesting because when you say they'll, they'll use all the tools at hand, you think they're talking about tax incentives to try and convince them to do this? Or you think this is more like, we're going to force you to do this and we're gonna come up with a windfall profits tax and we're going to, uh, is this a carrot or stick? I'm thinking stick. I think it's a lot more stick than it is carrot. I mean, by the way, just if you track rhetoric, which I do the word tools, they use it constantly. I don't know, I, I also, it's kind of a vague term. I, I kind of agree with your point, Becky. Yeah, they, they use it. I mean, they use it every day anyway. Uh, federal government tools and emergency authorities to increase refinery capacity and output in the near term and ensure every region in the country is appropriately supplied. Talks about the Defense Production Act, switching more to E15, and the ethanol Defense gasoline. Defense Production Act. That, they use the word tools stick. again. I use it a lot, too, but in a totally different uh, context, as in someone is one. But um, I was thinking. Yeah, I know you were thinking. Brian, it, it, you know, they know that the media is going to pick this up. It, it, this is pure demagoguery. It's, it's not going to help the issue. It's, it's getting your eye off the real problems and the real problems. And this is uh, just on break telling Becky, I lived through the Carter years. 
Every day I, I get a stronger sense of deja vu, a stronger sense of de- just one thing after another. And I'm going to leave it at that, and I, I'm not going to go further into it, but this is not going to help. This is not attacking the root cause. Until you admit what the root causes are, you can't, until you admit you have a problem, you can't well, deal I, with listen, the problem. Listen, go into it, baby. Don't worry about it. Listen, go into it. Like, you live through it. You're a little older than I did live Becky's through it. Becky's dad and, is an and, oil and, industry geologist. And it was so weird. Was an oil industry geologist. <laughs> I know. Brian, my, uh, my father owned a gas station in Los Angeles in 1980. Day. I watched people get in fistfights because there wasn't enough gasoline. They couldn't buy more than five gallons, and people got into fistfights in front of me. I was nine years old pumping gas at my dad's mobile station on the corner of Whittier and Beach Boulevard in La Habra, California. You know, and, and and watching him struggle to get loads of gasoline. So I was Brian, nine, retro retro history it. has as Reagan as is some kind of villain. No one lived through that. That but the, it, on inauguration day, January twentieth, whenever it was, on on his first day in office, Iran released the hostages, and from there on out, it it was a different world in the United States for the next eight eight years. And I, I don't care what anyone says. If you weren't there, don't tell me that you know something about it. What, what I will say is if He's they going, could call. Go ahead, Brian. Go ahead. No, no. We got the, I got the hook, Becky. I got the music hook. It's the audio version of that big thing on okay, Vaudeville they go. used to bring out. Let's go. Move it or lose it. Coming up on Squawk Pod, real estate readies itself for a recession. Real estate firms Redfin and Compass are laying off workers and uh, amid these trends we're talking about. And one real estate mogul is zooming out to see the entire still kind of gloomy inflation picture. If you're a New Yorker or a Chicagoan, you might have lived in one of his buildings. It's the always colorful, never filtered Sam Zell. What we need to do is drill. I mean, we need to recognize that the solution to quote unquote carbon neutral is not a 10-year solution, it's a 50-year solution. We've got to be prepared to have carbon energy available for a smooth transition. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. Mortgage rates uh, have been surging, the 30-year jumping sharply this week uh, to more than 6.2%, up from just 5.5 one week ago. Amid uh, the rising rates, mortgage demand continues uh, to plummet and home sales are down six months running, according to the National Association of Realtors. That was one of the last uh, shoes to drop. 
real estate market. Is it dropping? And prices hot. are still high because supply. Once again, it's the same issue you have everywhere. Uh, prices are still high, but I, I, I have heard that that it's taking a little longer. Instead of selling in a day or two, maybe you have to have it on the market for a week. Um, but there's still the supply is the limiting factor. I'm very glad I locked in a mortgage last month instead of this. I think I still got a floating rate. Uh, real estate firms Redfin and Compass are laying off workers. And uh, amid these trends we're talking about, Redfin announced an 8% cut to its workforce. Stock touched the new 52-week low in yesterday's session, down over 85% from last year. And Compass is cutting 10% of its workforce. That stock is down 68%. Uh, in the last year. We, these are niche layoffs, niche company layoffs we're talking about, but we're talking about a lot of them every day. I wonder about the jobs market. Especially in technology, but Rocket Mortgage had announced that they were doing some, some they were looking for people to take buyouts and laying off some people too. That was last month. I don't know. Um, that's what happens in a recession, right? What happens right? in a recession? People lose, lose their jobs. Yeah, unemployment goes up. Layoffs, recession fears, inflation, rate hikes. We warned you at the beginning of today's episode, it's a bit of a gloomy economic picture. Whatever the Fed decides today, however many points they ultimately hike interest rates, nearly all industries and consumers are still facing a bumpy financial road ahead, which is why it's a good day to hear from Sam Zell, real estate mogul. He's chairman and founder of Equity Group Investments, and he's chair of four different real estate REITs, including apartments like more than one of the buildings I've lived in in New York, and resorts. He's also invested in a variety of other assets, energy, manufacturing, logistics, and he's known, as you'll understand in about six minutes, for his no-holds-barred commentary. Here's Becky. Sam, it's good to see you and good to have you here today, but the last time we did see you, um, you said the Fed needed to move very aggressively. This was back in January. Um, they didn't. So now what? Is 75 basis points enough to kind of catch up from from behind? Well, I, I, I kind of answer you two ways. I, you know, I could give you a prediction as to what I think they'll do. I could also tell you what I think they ought to do. Uh, if, if I were running the Fed today, uh, I would raise interest rates a full point. Uh, I think that the credibility of the Fed has been significantly damaged. Uh, the Fed is supposed to be independent of politics. Uh, you know, how many times uh, do we have to play this same game where the Fed keeps falling behind the reality? Uh, you know, we've, we have uh, overstimulated the economy by a big factor. Uh, we have to take the punch bowl away. And we also have to recognize the fact that when you're raising rates to buy a point, when you're starting at one and a half and going to two and a half or something like that, that's that's really not very much. It, it may be percentage wise, but I think there's more than enough room uh, within the economy to absorb uh, a couple hundred point, uh, couple hundred point basis increase in the risk free rate. Sam, we, we've talked a lot this morning and in the last weeks and months just about the idea that the problems in the economy right now aren't really things that the Fed is very equipped to fix. A lot of these are supply issues. The Fed can really only break on the demand side of things. Um, yeah, leaving but, us but, the Fed, but the Fed controls demand. I mean, the reality is that, uh, you know, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been around for a long time, you know, uh, 
uh, piece of legislation used to include, uh, um, you know, uh, I don't know, a, a hundred million or two hundred million, and then all of a sudden it became trillions, and uh, all of a sudden we couldn't get the money out fast enough. I think the whole country owes Joe Manchin a giant thank you uh, for stopping uh, what would have really been a catastrophic. Uh, result. You mean in terms of additional spending coming from from, yep. from Washington? And, and that whole buy back better book is just uh, unacceptable. Build back better. And, uh, and, uh, and unfortunately, we only had one senator who stepped up to the line when, in fact, everybody should have stepped up and recognized uh, that this was a disastrous policy. What are you seeing in terms of inflation? The higher rates we're already seeing in yields, you're right. Th this is nothing historically, but are the higher interest rates starting to get to the point where it slows things down? In commercial real estate, uh, we've watched it in, in, in residential slow down somewhat. I, I, I think that what, what you're seeing uh, right now is uh, you know, a lack of, uh, of confidence. Uh, I don't think that the rates that have been increased to date change much. It's the anticipation that changes. So we're seeing a lot of commercial transactions being put on hold. Uh, you know, you're looking at the cost of financing is up 80%, and it's not only up 80%, it looks like it'll be up more than 80% because rates are going to continue to go up. So, uh, you know, everybody, you know, wants to make decisions uh, predicated upon, well, what, what, what happened, you know, in the past. And I think, uh, right now, the focus is what's going to happen in the future. And I think that's uh, uh, materially impacting the confidence of people to go forward. So I would envision that uh, uh, at least for the near term and the near term is the next six months, uh, I would think that real estate transactions will be lower uh, and, uh, and, and the deals that get done will get done because of conviction. Uh, and, and, and people will defer and say, I can wait till next year. So, Sam, the latest is the, the Biden administration is blaming oil companies for fattening their profit margins. At the same time that they talk about the Putin price hike and how inflation is global, uh, they still seem to think that it's, it's uh, or want to at least uh, tie it to corporations in, th in this country. Uh, just, just, just try, I mean, I said earlier, I was around for the, the, the Carter years. I don't know if they're going to do any price controls with oil companies. You remember the Carter years, right? Do you have any, oh, yeah. sense, you have any sense of deja vu? It just, just as, as things hit the fan, it's just like one thing after another. And I remember those four years, and it was a long four years. Well, I mean, the Carter years were all about trying to blame somebody else uh, except themselves. And in the same manner, uh, Joe Biden owns this inflation. Uh, if he hadn't uh, pro you know, provided and encouraged the massive amounts of liquidity that was added to the system under the guise of COVID, uh, we wouldn't have this problem today. And blaming the oil companies this week and blaming somebody else next week uh, uh, all doesn't, you know, doesn't, uh, doesn't avoid the reality that the real blame here is on policy or lack thereof. And, and those policies force the Fed's hand and the Fed becomes political because the Fed's got to give, uh, the, the fiscal spending has got to give it cover. And they're almost stuck in a box. They're stuck in a box and it, it feeds on itself. They're, they're like uh, co-conspirators. Yeah, 
but isn't you referring to the Fed uh, as uh, uh, about to be impacted a little naive? I mean, I think that, you know, we had President Trump uh, was hectoring the Fed to you know, not yeah, raise same rates. Deal. Even and, worse. Yeah. And that was followed by Biden doing exactly the same thing. And the Fed acquiesced, and that's not good. Hey, Sam, I was just reading through one of these letters to the oil companies. I think they all got the same letter, basically. But it, it points out, it, it, you know, the letter from the Biden administration, or signed by the president, points out that refinery capacity dropped in this country, and it dropped um, in, in, in 2020 because of the pandemic. Um, he's asking them to ramp that back up. I don't know how quickly that happens. This is not like you flip a switch and, and, and things come back on. And just saying those higher costs for gasoline, the bigger difference, this bigger spread that you see, even though oil prices have been at these levels before, we're seeing much higher gasoline prices. And that is because of the front refinery capacity issues. But I don't know how you can expect these companies to just turn things around and say, okay, we're going to produce it tomorrow. It doesn't happen that way. No, it doesn't happen that way. And uh, and almost every step the Biden administration has taken has been negative to oil. So if you own refineries today, uh, would you, uh, you know, double down and, and increase your commitment uh, to produce uh, more when you know that at the first opportunity the Biden administration will go the other way and cut off a pipeline or or stop drilling or make drilling very expensive. I and mean, what we need to do is drill. I mean, we need to recognize that the solution to quote unquote carbon neutral is not a 10 year solution, it's a 50 year solution. And we've gotta be prepared to have carbon uh, energy available uh, to, for a smooth transition. What we've tried to do is pass all these uh, anti-carbon rules uh, that have discouraged investment, and therefore we, we're short supply. And, and we're, if we're going to get supply, we need a change of policy in Washington. We talk about one type of inflation. You've been talking about asset inflation for a while, uh, Sam, and you've been concerned about valuations. Uh, given the, the fiscal and, and monetary bubble that, that has been built up, the worse the the party the night before, the worse the hangover. I, I mean, how concerned are you that this was, I don't know if it was the mother, of, you know, who was the first one? I think it was Saddam Hussein, mother of all, right? Was this the mother of all bubbles, that, in your view, that, that we're trying to get extricate ourselves from at this point? And I'm a little cynical on, you know, the, the anything of all. Uh, you know, it's, you know I, I'm, I'm, it's like calling tops in the market or bottoms for that matter. Uh, but clearly, uh, there's been excessive asset inflation. Uh, that's beginning to soften. But again, I go back to the very first thing I said, the issue is credibility. And the Fed's credibility, I think, has been lost. And it needs to do something that will reestablish that credibility and convince uh, the, 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 the world that, it's, that it, it intends to take inflation and get control of it. You know, Sam, you, you have not liked Bitcoin. You've, you've been a bear on it. And we, we're watching Bitcoin come back down. That was part of the, the, the bubble that kind of built up from all the liquidity that was out there. Um, when it drops like this, when it's down closer to $21,000, do you like it anymore? Or is this something you stay away from at all costs? Well, I think um, I, I, I basically stayed away from Bitcoin at all costs 
for the simple reason that I do not understand it. Uh, I do not understand its security. Uh, I think that when it's all said and done, uh, any kind of currency without the backing of a government in some fashion uh, uh, is unlikely to work. Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't understand all the losses that have occurred where, uh, you know, where Bitcoins have been siphoned out of institutions. And uh, consequently, I've, I've not participated and I've been very, very critical of it and continue to be so. Uh, I think that Bitcoin at 21 uh, is uh, cheaper than it was at 40. But it ain't cheap. If the Fed were to do what, what you'd like to see them do, raise by 100 basis points, that, that probably would, at least in the short term, inflict some more pain on the markets. You're somebody who is an investor in a broad uh, array of different categories and stocks. What, what, what are you doing right now? Like, I know you, the last time we talked to you, I think you were still investing in energy stocks. What, what do you like at this point? Is there anywhere to hide? I think the answer is that... Uh, you know, our enthusiasm for investing capital is somewhat muted. Uh, I think the standards uh, of what we're doing is somewhat muted. I think that uh, every new deal we look at uh, gets get, goes under the knife of inflation. And, and we look at the various parts of it and we look at, you know, where is inflation having its impact? Uh, I think before I said this, and I repeat it again, uh, I think that since Volcker, uh, there's been a reduction in the reliability of the of the CPI, um, with the result being that I think inflation is frankly a little more than the 8.6% that the load latest statistics suggest. So I think we have a big we have, we have to we have to challenge this. Uh, we have to deliver the message that we're not going to allow inflation uh, to gain control of our markets. And whatever pain it requires to get that done, the first pain is the best pain. So you said a, a hundred basis points, but then you pointed out it would only get us to two and a half, which is historically really low. So yes. what, do you, what do you think would, are we in a little bit of a different era where what we think of as high interest rates and low interest rates from 10, 15, 20 years ago, that's no longer, we can't use that as, as a, you know, to base things on? What, what would you consider... What would you consider to be high? What would be high enough to to to, uh, to handle inflation at this point, Sam? If it's if it really is ten percent? Yeah, my best guess is that uh, uh, over four is the, is the goal, and the faster we get there, the better. It's still very low, though. Well, it's still very low based on historical standards, uh, but I think that it represent you know a huge increase in the cost. And remember, we've got something called funding the federal government and the federal government has gotten shorter and shorter in its funding. And I think it's run the gamut and how short it can go. And so raising the short term rates from where we are to four uh, is going to put a, it's not a, a real return, thing. though. You're not you, you, we don't need to get a real return on fixed income ever again uh, versus inflation. Oh, I couldn't agree more. We have to get a real return. And part of the problem that I'm describing is the fact that the spread between the real return and the return being paid was four and five percent, and that's not a, you know that's that's unsustainable. I think you can you can live with a one percent for a while negative you know spread where real interest rates are a point higher than 
uh, than, than the existing rates, but only for a while. I mean, we got to get back up into the positive territory. Sam, you, you said that you don't like the markets right now. And in times of market dislocation like this, like, we're, like we've seen recently, you know, the traditional theory is that cash is king. You, you need money. You need to be able to pivot. You need to be able to move quickly. But when you're talking about higher than even the CPI readings are talking in terms of inflation, you know, usually with high inflation, cash is trash because it's worth less every week. Um, how do you come down on those two sides right now? Is, is cash king? Is it trash or something in between? Well, again, if the Fed does what it says it's going to do, it's going to reduce liquidity by 90 billion a month. Uh, that won't take long uh, before we're dealing with uh, a much, much less liquid environment and where cash, in effect, is, is going to become king. In anticipation of that, I think that everybody is putting much greater value on cash today than they did a year ago. Sam, we always appreciate your time. It's really good to see you again. My pleasure and great to see you. I look forward to being in the studio someday soon. Cheese will be next. Finally, our last story on Squawk Pod today, the end of the Explorer era. The top browser for installing other browsers. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. It's the end of an era because Microsoft has officially retired Internet Explorer. So do I have to use something else to go on to MySpace now? You, um... uh, yes, okay. a Ouija board. <laughs> As of today, oh, okay. Uh, I was never on that. I had a bad reputation, but I'm not on Facebook. So, As of today, Microsoft has ended support for the Internet browser. It was launched way back in 1995 as a competitor uh, to the then popular Netscape Navigator. Microsoft had essentially moved, uh, has essentially moved on from uh, the Internet Explorer when it launched Edge, its next generation uh, browser back in 2015. Internet Explorer had its fair share of critics, with some referring to it as the top browser for installing other browsers. That's it for Squawk Pod today. Thank you for listening as always. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll also get the highlights on our Twitter feed at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. FedEx.